I'm Beth Bennett. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Coming up, I spoke with biomechanist and author Katie Bowman about her new book. You don't have to add any more exercise time. You don't have to add a special stretching class. You can just start looking at the shapes that you are using throughout the day and start coming up with different loads and shapes to do the tasks that you were already doing. If you're interested in how to improve your sitting, walking, or running postures, or just how our anatomy informs every movement we make, stay tuned. You're hearing the sound of wild bumblebees up in the Boulder foothills at the Calwood Outdoor Education Center near Jamestown. Calwood is beloved among the school children and adults who take courses there. Two years ago, a wildfire burned much of Calwood down to ash, but restoration efforts and this year's rains have restored much of the beauty at Calwood. There's even a monarch monitoring event planned for this 4th of July weekend. For more about butterflies and restoration after the Calwood fire, here's How on Earth volunteer, Rosanna Longo. I have the opportunity to speak with Rafael Salgado, Executive Director of Calwood Education Center, two years after experiencing a devastating fire. October 17, 2020, we had a fire called the Calwood Fire. It burned half of the property, which is 600 acres. Right after the fire, I really thought that that land was going to take forever to recover because what the fire left behind it was just ashes. For the first summer, we didn't see hardly any vegetation back. By the second year, though, we had a good winter with some snow, and that helped so much that a lot of vegetation started coming back. Well, this year, all this rain that we got in May and now in June, the land is just looking so good. It surprised me so much how fast a piece of land is recovering. It's not fully recovered, right? The trees that we planted last year, we planted around 5,000 trees with the help of a lot of volunteers. Maybe some of them are listening to this. Thank you for coming up to Calwood. Typically in Colorado, when you do tree planting in the forest, it can be 30% of survival. So all those 5,000 trees that we planted, I would say 70, 80% or even more are still alive, which is a lot. It was incredible to see the helicopters moving all those huge... Burnt trees. Yeah, it was incredible. And it's holding strong because I remember going up and you were planting mushrooms, you know, spores of mushrooms so that they can grow and contain the soil so that there's no erosion. It became a natural laboratory for scientists and people that wanted to help out in the recuperation of the whole ecosystem. I just hope that this line is going to keep recovering. I would like if you can also just share with us, there's going to be a counting of butterflies soon. Yes. Every 4th of July, one of our board members, Janet Chu, she's the butterfly lady in Boulder County. She's been doing this national butterfly count for 40 years. A lot of volunteers come up and they collect butterflies, they identify them with experts, and then let them go. If some of you are interested, just give us a call at Calwood at 303-449-0603 and to see we have any um, available spots. But, I mean, it's, it's amazing. We need kids because they run faster than adults. 
to catch those butterflies. So <laughs> yeah, we need to catch those up. butterflies so that we can count them, identify them, and also let them go. And learn. The kids learn so much about butterflies because the experts are there with them. Thank you so much. I have been speaking with Rafael Salgado, Executive Director of Calwood Educational Center. For KGNU, I am Rosana Longobetter. Good luck catching those butterflies. <laughs> Thank you, Rosana. I'm Beth Bennett. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Are you a fitness fanatic or a couch potato? Whichever, there's something for you in Katie Bowman's new book, Rethink Your Position. Coming from a biomechanics background, Katie assesses the movements of everyday life and describes how to perform them correctly based on human anatomy. Moving from the head down, she dissects everything from sitting at the computer to running marathons and gives easy-to-follow instructions for improving. Welcome to the show, Katie. I'm speaking with Katie Bowman about her new book, one of many. I have to admit you're a really prolific writer, Katie. And this book is called Rethink Your Position. And it's a whole compendium of really, really important, I think, tips on how to use your body when you're moving and when you're not. And for people in Boulder, you know, Boulder's a pretty active community, Katie. And I think a lot of people figure, oh, I run or I climb or whatever, and I know how to use my body. But as you go through this book, you as a person with a biomechanics background point out how important form is to any movement. So maybe we could start off, you could tell us what what it means to be a biomechanist. Well, biomechanics is, is the study of how physical forces uh, influence biological systems. I focus on humans and movement. And so as you were saying before, you know, people are very and rightly so concerned about how much they are moving per day. Um, biomechanics is a branch of kinesiology, the study of human movement. The amount that you're moving per day would fall under maybe exercise physiology, a general, general whole body movement. Biomechanics starts looking at things like the form. What is the shape? How, how are you orienting your parts when you are getting that movement. And so for anyone who's ever gone to the gym and maybe worked with a personal trainer or, or read about good form in a magazine, or certainly anyone who's participated in athletics, who's been fitted for a bicycle or has uh, looked at different running shoes, like all of this gear is trying to um, help you optimize your physical experience when you're doing your particular movement. And, and that's what biomechanics is. It's, it's looking at the pressures, the frictions, and, and really how you stack up the gravity depending on what it is that you're doing. And I think one of the things that I took away that was really important was so much of the time that we spend in any activity, whether it's something sedentary like sitting, walking, running, it's really hard to be aware of all of those different component parts with respect to each other. And the easiest thing to do is just zone out, you know, and 
not and like just get engaged in what you're doing, whether it's running or sitting. One thing that I took away from the book was that you got to focus, though. Um, the great thing about the book is that it's a whole compendium. And I love how you organize it, starting at the head and ending with the feet. <laughs> how much variation you see in people? I'm assuming that you you see individuals and work with with clients. But it strikes me, you know, as a geneticist, everybody's different. And how much variability is there, like, in the way one person's joints work? And so will people have to tailor these kinds of approaches? Well, certainly we all have unique uh, anthropometric dimensions. So if you were to measure, and that's just the measurement of your frame in general. And we all have, we all have unique dimensions, but at the same time, there's enough similarity across our, I guess our collective board where all of our skeletal pieces are recognizable as such. You know, a humerus is recognizable as a humerus. Um, that's like an upper arm bone. Right. Um, or the femur is recognizable as a femur. So, so there are features that with, you know, with the exception of, you know, extreme outliers, the population shares. And, and in general, walking forward happens in a in a particular way you know certainly there are disabilities there are injuries that impact uh that impact the way that we move but those are still considered um they would be considered outliers to where most people are going to fall on a spectrum and and even if you have um a particular shape to your body that wouldn't be, I'm trying to think of the way we want to say it, that wouldn't be in the, in the most, sorry, I'm like blanking on a word. <laughs> like the most uh, optimal form? No, no, I'm not talking about optimal, like most prevalent. Uh, there are, okay. there, you know, there are shapes that are the most prevalent, but there's always a range. You know, I think, you know, anatomy, even though it's fairly universal for humans, there are also there's anatomical variability. For example, like not everyone will have a psoas minor muscle. Oh. Um, some people have an extra bone in their foot. Some people have an extra vertebrae and this would not be considered, they are, they are, they're not normal in the sense of most people have them, but to see these variabilities, there's just a variety. So I tend to focus on my work in the things that, that again, outside of, significant disability most people are going to experience so so when people walk forward the way that we walk forward is fairly similar like we have this thing called hip extension the joint of everyone is set up where your thigh bone can swing back behind you now people come with different depths of their hip sockets so not everyone has exactly the same shape but but the way that the ball and the socket tend to fit together is fairly prevalent across the board. So I'm always um, offering ways that you can work within your own anthropometric dimension. So for example, when we're talking about how would I, like what's a great way to stand to load my hips and knees evenly, I wouldn't say stand with your feet six, or eight inches apart 
because I don't know the width of your pelvis. I can't see you, but I could say, stand with your feet, the width of your pelvis. And in that way, it's scalable to the individual. So the way that I talk about alignment is always referring back to line this thing up on your body with this other thing on your body. Because again, we've got these, we've got a variety in shape, but the our unique um, or absolute measurements, they tend to line up over our bodies. You might find people with wider shoulders compared to people with more narrow shoulders, but you wouldn't necessarily see someone with wide shoulders paired with a really narrow pelvis. Like the widths tend to um, match up throughout one's body. Sure, right. And going back to walking, since you raised that, I'm glad you, you started talking about that. You mentioned in the book that, you know, evolution designed us to walk in a certain way, but that some people have learned walking in a less efficient or less optimal way. And so um, is that something that, you, I mean, I'm sure you address it individually, but that people could get out of the book, that they could address that issue. And, and I, I do know that you have videos and I will link to those on your website. I'm just curious about how much work people can do on their own. Well, right. And so an another thing about anthropometric dimensions is we've got this, we do have a genetic makeup, but the shape of our body is, is really heavily informed with uh, heavily informed by how we've used it over uh, a lifetime. So in the same way that trees have their genes that determines, you know, the shape of their bark and, and, and the appearance of, leaves or needles or whatever they have, they're also shaped the way they branch, the amount they branch um, is really based on the loads that that tree experiences over time, even the way the roots end up growing. So we operate in the same way. Um, and so our shape, even the permanent uh, twists and turns of our bones, certainly the density of our bones can be influenced by how the forces or loads that we've created uh, throughout a lifetime. And so walking, again, is also one of those one of those movements that can be boiled down into people in general having these certain gait parameters that we would want to see if we were assessing someone's gait. For example, if you saw someone who shuffled, whose feet never really picked up from the ground. There could be a reason why that has happened. Again, it could be a disability, it could be an illness, it could be a state of strength, but that would still be an indication that we're missing four points that we would wanna see in someone's gait, that your heel hits and then the foot comes down, the front of the foot comes down, then the heel comes off and then the toe comes off. So biomechanically, we're looking for certain things for the feet to be doing, for the thigh to be doing. Um, you wouldn't want to see, for example, the torso lurch to the right and to the left with every single step or one arm swing, but the other arm not swing. And when we do see these things, um, it lets us know like, oh, there is something that could be, there's an intervention that could happen here, whether it's coming from a physiotherapist, maybe an orthopedist wants to, um, adjust something else to, to smooth out the gate. But a lot of times it's just strength. Um, and the way that we've walked is really, it's influenced by the other activities that we do like sitting. So we have a, even though again, we're unique, 
we have a lot of things in common culturally, and that goes for lots of hours of sitting. And so there's an adaptation that happens to your body when you spend a lot of time in a chair because chairs like an exercise, it's the exercise that you do maybe the most of. And so your muscles, just like your muscles and tissues adapt to, you know, your body, if you're running a lot, or if you're, if you're cycling a lot, it also adapts to the period of time that you're in a chair. And so when we get up out of a chair, we're not always getting all the way up out of the chair. There's there's shortnesses in musculature, and sometimes there's densities in the bones that have changed through our movement habits. And you can start working on some of those changes. You can start working on some of those adaptations part by part by being a little bit more mindful with, with every single step that you do end up taking. And I love it that you talked about how there's certain genetic predispositions, but we shape those throughout life. And some of that could be epigenetic or just learned patterns. And one one of the really fascinating points that you raise is bunions. And people always think that bunions are genetic. I was just talking to a friend about that this morning who said, my mom had bunions and I have bunions. And you point out in your book that you can learn your style of walking from your family. They're the, your earliest role models. And so you can learn to move your feet in such a way that you develop bunions. And then you can unlearn that too. Right. It's like, it's like an accent, you know, just your, your parents, it's likely that you share an accent with the people that you learn to speak from and certain things can go on to inform the way you speak and change the way you speak. But, but accents are just muscle movements of the mouth and the tongue, they're movements and you've tuned you've, you've tuned your ears and your mouth together to set you up to be successful in your environment and, and walking and other movements. Like we also, they're not, they're hereditary in, in some ways, but they're not really, um, passing through the genetic line. Now, now that, you know, there are a small percentage of things like collagen strength that we can inherit, but really what we have more in common is a way of using our body that ends up pushing the big toe out of the way, you know, moving the big toe out towards the pinky toe, which is this precursor to a bunion. You know, like even if you have a joint instability, the way that you use your body on top of that instable joint is still very much part of how this thing physically comes to be. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And one thing that I've been talking and writing and thinking about a lot in the last few years is how important movement and exercise are to our long-term health, both physical and mental. And you talk about that as well in your book. And the better the form we can do it in that's right for us as individuals, the longer we can keep doing it. And so there's this great positive feedback loop of the more you do it correctly, the better it feels and the more you want to do it. Well, right. I mean, and and in the book, I try to say, you know, we've got this move it or lose it language that we use around the body. Um, And I like to switch it to be like, let's care for it to keep it. Because a phenomenon that even many avid exercisers find is a loss of function over time. And it oftentimes relates to the movements that they like to do the most. So we tend to focus on, on, um, the one or two modes or sports or 
or um, modes of exercise that we like the most. And we do those quite a bit. And so our body starts to adapt to just those particular movements, but movement, you know, works similarly to dietary nutrition and you can't extract everything that you need from those one or two foods that you really, really like. You have to have a, a more well-balanced diet because even, even an excellent nutrient nutritious food, a single food will ultimately make you sick if it's the only thing you consume. And so our attitude towards movement has really been more about finding that one or two food movement foods that you like, and then just doing them constantly. But then you start wearing out the body in a very particular way. And I use wearing out sort of casually. I think it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but you're not, if your body was a garden, you're not watering all the different parts of your body. Cause one of the, one of the benefits of having so many hinges in your body, all these joints that we have is that you can move in lots of different ways. One of the drawbacks of having so many hinges is that if you don't move them all, they start to lose their ability to move a lot. So our exercise programs are often not nutritious enough to take care of our entire body. So when I was in a lot of the work that I'm doing, it's just working with people, whether they don't move any parts of their body regularly beyond their chair muscles. And on the other end of the spectrum are athletes who are absolutely um, rich in movement calories, but their movement diet is still not very balanced. And so it's a way of letting them, letting both groups explore all of their parts, part by part to see like, wow, even though I'm moving a lot, this part wasn't really moving really well, or gee, I'd like to be able to move more, but my whole body doesn't really feel comfortable moving. I'm just going to work on this part to start. And, you know, I think that that could be a daunting thing for people to hear initially because they might think, oh, I spend, you know, my aliquot of, of exercise time just doing this one thing. But you have a great story in your book, and maybe you could recount that of how your whole family decided to do a run. I think it was a 10K and you hadn't been training for it, but you, I'll let you tell the story, how you, you found that you could all do it together. Most sports that most people do right now are done in a similar, they wear a similar pattern in the hip as uh, sitting in a chair does. So you get out of your chair, your hips have been bent, this one particular shape, and then you get on your bike. And your bike is not that different than the shape of a chair. So this is where the mechanics come in because you're operating much differently on that bike. Your heart is having a different experience. Your lungs are having a different experience, but really your hands, your hips, those joints, they're not having that different of an experience. Same thing for running. Running, even though you're a little bit more upright, you're, you're in, if we had to reduce it to anatomical positions, you're sort of cycling through that same hip flexion again and again and again. The arms are still bent. They're still not reaching overhead or out to the side. So for that person, it would be like, instead of eating more chair time at the end of the day, when you're going to sit down and watch Netflix you're going to do homework with your kids, like whatever it is that you're doing, instead of sitting in that chair, you are going to throw a pillow down on the ground and you're going to sit with your legs cross-legged, or you're going to open your legs out into a V. 
So you don't have to add any more exercise time. You don't have to add a special stretching class. You can just start looking at the shapes that you are using throughout the day and start coming up with different loads and shapes to do the tasks that you were already doing. And so I do a lot of that in my life. We will set up like, hey, let's go to the grocery store and let's let's bring home all of our groceries distributed over the four of us. So by doing that, running was not on anything that I was training for, but I walk long distances. I carry heavy things. Um, I, we were all able to, and, and then I, you know, I use my body in different positions a lot. Like I have a, a standing, I have a flexible work desk, which means I can stand, I can sit on the ground or I can sit on a ball. None of us, none of the four of us running as something that we were training for, but all managed to, you know, do quite well in it because our general movement diet informed our bodies well enough to be okay with the 10K. And that's such a great note to end on that variety and diversity are so important. We can do that throughout the day. So Katie, I want to thank you for talking and um, I will link to your book and your website in our show notes. Thank you for having me on. It's been a great time. That was author Katie Bowman, biomechanist, movement teacher, and author. In her new book, Rethink Your Position, she gives simple instructions that will make it easy for you to rethink your position. Katie encourages all of us to expand our movement repertoires and make every movement count. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. I'm the executive producer this quarter, and I produce this week's show. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music by Sia. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, links to material referenced in the show, and you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.